Awesome guest for us today, Tyler Hayes from Vessel Creative. He's a go-getter, man. He does what I do, but uh, uh, in the film and television world, but he's a little uh, newer school about it. He's just a, he's just a new breed, man, and I dig it. I try to stay on the cutting edge, on the bleeding edge of what's going on. Uh, but I'm not quite as as cutting edge and bleeding edge as Tyler is. I'm hoping to get there. But this was uh, this was really a great chat. I hope you guys enjoy it. Here is my buddy Tyler Hayes. We're doing the podcast. I have you they make like vintage baseball hats and everything. Mm. They had these jackets, and I just I just really thought the jackets were cool. So I reached out to him and I was like. Could these be customized? <laughs> so like, have have as a as a uh, company jacket, and they're like, yeah, we're actually discontinuing um, all these jack, like the just the the field jackets that they had, and so kind of got a hodgepodge of colors because there's only so much to pick from. But we, you know, got them made, and for no other reason than just I felt like I didn't want to look back on my life and regret. <laughs> Having not done uh, these jackets when I had the chance, not, you know, not so. making not making us some sweet yeah, drip. Yeah, hey, I might you... might go out of business doing it, but uh, <laughs> at least I'm I'm gonna go go down go down, uh, go down big, dude. So. I, I gotta say, you are one of the like most fashionable dudes we've had in the shop for sure, man. You look good. Your shoes, well, thanks, man. You look like you I just took them out it. of the box. You know, I, I try to keep the shoes clean, so <laughs> mo- mo- mostly because I'm. Um, not, not, it's not that I'm a cheapskate. I just don't like to lose money. Yeah. So I've realized, especially with sneakers, if I can keep them just in decent shape, don't have to be perfect, just decent shape, and they're, you know, a good quality, you know, and they're a Nike shoe they're, that's that's relatively popular. It's like in six or seven years, I can probably resell it for the same amount that I bought it for. Dude, the shoe game is so wild. I can't believe there's kids making six figures on eBay with shoes, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> it is It is wild. It is yeah. wild. And it's kind of, it's fun for me to just kind of, um, some of it's nostalgia. It's like back in the day when I was in middle school, loved loved Jordans and, yeah. you know, wanted, um, wanted to, to fit into some Jordan. I had like, you know, I'm a smaller, smaller guy. Like, a lot of the shoes didn't fit me and stuff, but I wanted to wear these shoes so bad. And um, so now as an adult where I'm like, all that's kind of come back around, you know, in the last decade or two and uh, people are still rocking them, still wearing them. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I'd like, I had that back in 1998, yeah. 1999. And um, so to go back and kind of still be able to enjoy it yeah, um, and it still be, you know, fashionable right now, I think is 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 fun. One day it's not going to be, the trend anymore and i'm still gonna want to wear them but it's gonna be like oh these are like not like i'm gonna be the dad that look at mr dad ne- shoes. <laughs> never got never moved on with his style or anything yeah. like that but um yeah i've just always i've always loved it so it's cool now that that um you know there is kind of that that resale world or the secondary market because yeah. you can play your cards right you can enjoy some of those things without kind of feeling like you're throwing your money away or anything like that because you it plus that's how i 
as an adult and a father now, it's like, that's also how I justify my- <laughs> Spending the my, money. Yeah, yeah, like my <laughs> hobbies is like, I have to have some rationale for I'm going to buy these things or I'm going to spend this money, but I'm not really, like I, it can it can fund itself kind of, if that makes yeah. sense. And so- I try hey, to, you're breaking even. Yeah, at yeah. least. Yeah. So that's the goal. What what is your company for people who don't know about it? Yeah, my a lot of people don't know about it. Uh, I feel like we fly on the radar a little bit, but my company is called Vessel Creative. We are a video marketing company. Um, we we I specialize in sort of in depth storytelling. Originally, that was purely with video, more more of a traditional video production company. Um, but over the years, that's really, that umbrella has gotten bigger. And so now we kind of use storytelling to inform all layers of, um, of how people can communicate on the internet mm. from still, still primarily video that's still, and always will be probably the wheelhouse, but, um, we're also creating sort of the, the platforms for some of these videos to live on the landing pages, mm. um, uh, email campaigns. We yeah. do a little bit of paid advertising, like Google ads, pay-per-click, um, video advertising, things like that. Um, so a little bit of that, um, we do a little, since, since COVID and the pandemic, we kind of shifted and started doing a lot more live streaming, virtual events, mm. things like that. Um, but it all kind of has always revolved around visual storytelling and how to make that a sort of cohesive solution for the clients that we work with. Yeah. Um, we're pre, pre, purely client-based right now, so we're only kind of really doing work for other people. Mm. Um, but that just was a great way, I think, for me to find a foothold doing things that I felt like I was built for. Yeah. Or that, that just seemed to come more natural to me. And there's a definitely a need in the marketplace now more than ever for all kinds of video content. No, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I, I hung my hat on video back in the day just because... Part of it was I've, ever since I could remember, I've just always loved movies and mm. TV shows and probably watched way too much TV as a kid and just all that kind of, it's just, I gravitated towards that. Yeah. And so um, when it came time to what do I, what do I want to try to do with this stuff? It just like, I saw things. Um, I kind of see life sometimes in, in like an edit. Yeah. the way it would look mm -hmm. and, and, and the way it would be framed. And so that's the route I wanted to go. And I knew it was important. I knew it could be powerful in terms of just, you know, you and I both know how impactful storytelling can be when it's done well. And so this was back in, um, you know, 2000, what, 2009 maybe, um, when I started doing more like of my own video stuff and freelancing and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that I, anyone could have really predicted where it's ended up today in terms of just, uh, I guess the path that social media has went and then all the short form content that we were seeing come out now. It's crazy. Um, everybody, I mean, that's just videos where everybody's going. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and for whatever reason. Yeah. And you don't need the nice gear anymore to get two and a half million, you know, <laughs> yeah. views on your stuff. You and just need to, you just need to learn some dance moves, man. <laughs> <laughs> have you gotten on TikTok? Are you I, on there? I have gotten on TikTok. Yeah. Um, it started because I think I was a, a little bit of a consumer of it. So I saw this thing back. Instagram was kind of in its heyday. You know, everyone loved it. It was, it was a massive platform. 
but I started seeing these these clips pop up from this thing called Music uh, Y. Yeah. yeah, Musically. Yeah. And it was these younger, like, look like middle school kids, like, lip syncing. Yeah. And they were, but, but there was something about it that was kind of um, entertaining in a way at that time. And so I just decided after seeing enough clips of that, I decided I'm going to download it. Just see what this is. See yeah. what, see what the kids are into these days, you yeah. know? Um, so I downloaded it and I, as, as soon as I opened the platform, I was like, Oh, this is fun. Yes. Like this was it's, again, still musically, but I was, and it was still just really lip syncing and that yeah. kind of thing. But the way that it was, it was just like this, like bright colors and a lot of like ways to filter and search for things that you would want to listen to. In songs, I thought, oh, this is going to be a game changer for the music industry because mm. how better, um, you know, it's just a more straightforward way, I think, for an artist to get their music just immediately shared with a lot of people and kind of viral in that way. Like user-generated content is what the, you know, what the industry speak of, of everything is. But um, UGC. Yeah, UGC, man. That's <laughs> where it's at. Uh, everybody wants it. <laughs> and everybody how, wants to make stuff look like How it. do we get this to go viral? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Dude, when I heard about Musical.ly, it was, um, so we did, uh, we were doing a series of videos for the Tennessee Entertainment Commission, and uh, we got Gary Vaynerchuk on, uh, for one of our pieces. You know that guy? Yeah. You do? <laughs> I don't know, yeah, right. I don't know him. I know of him, obviously. Yeah. Um, um, and and we we were doing, you got to hustle harder. Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. He doesn't want to be a hype man, but that's kind of where he landed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we were doing a, a video with a video with him, and we interviewed him. But I started to you know doing my research on him. I kept hearing him talk about musically. He's like, I think this is you sure. know, you know, people people aren't going to like it now, but this could be where it goes. Mm -hmm. And then I so that's when I downloaded it and started checking it out and watching it. And I thought it was so interesting. It was different, like. It was different than Instagram or Facebook because it indexed towards fun. Like it was mm. just fun. That's yeah. all they were. They were encouraging. The algorithm was pushing fun content sure. in your face. And the top creators were having fun with these lip sync videos. And, uh, and then I kind of fell off. I liked it, but I didn't really know about it. I didn't, I knew I didn't want to make content for it. Right. And then, uh, and then, you know, I, I hear about TikTok like four or five years later and uh, and that's when I was like, I wonder what happened to Musically. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> TikTok is what happened to Musically. Yeah, yeah. So Byte Dance, that's the name of the company that I guess the, uh, the Chinese the Chinese um, spy company. Yeah, the Chinese they, spy company that bought still Musically still and all our data. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, and I'll be honest, like that's kind of the reason I haven't gotten into sure. it is because yeah, and I'm people. not a paranoid person with like my data or info, but I just, I don't know. I just, it, I, it feels invasive. It, it's, it's kind of why. So I, I, again, I'm, I'm on it and I got an account because I was like, I'd, I'd, I'd been in the weeds kind of in the background enough where I saw like just some of the different areas people were operating in. And, and at the time I'm, I, uh, was thinking more along the lines of like doing stuff with my family or my kids and everything, which that's a whole nother thing of like how much of your kids you actually want to put on social media. Sure. Um, but I wanted to experiment, experiment with it. There was a lot of other family channels that I'd, I'd seen. And, you know, as a video person, you're just like, man, I, that, how cool would that be to do some of these fun ideas for video, for your video work, but yet you're getting to also spend time with your family and, yeah. and kind of involve your, your kids in what you do. Sure. Um, so that was a big piece of it. And then I had this whole idea, because at the time, I don't remember the exact ages of my kids at that time, maybe like two and four around that, that age. 
um, maybe it might have been one and three. They were pretty young, but they were really into the Wiggles. Yeah. And uh, the 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 kids show. Yeah, whatever. that kid. You know, the singing show. The, the colorful shirts, and they're like Australian, I think. Or, yeah. Um, they dance and they sing these songs. They do this like really, like cheesy choreography. And I'm sitting there watching. You know, I watch at this point. That's all we're listening to around the house. And um, I'm like, there's no Asian wiggle. I don't know if there, there's any wiggle of color uh, that, that I was seeing. And so I was like, man, how funny would it be to put myself in that show, uh, you know, using After Effects and stuff as a wiggle and do the dance. Like, I, I've got some rhythm. I can dance. I can, you know, learn choreography really easily. And so I just, I literally had that idea in my mind for over two years and I just never had done anything about it. And then one day I was like, I'm just, I'm going to start a TikTok account. I'm going to make this video and put it out there and see what happens. And, um, you know, it was years in the making, but I finally ordered a little shirt, orange shirt off of Amazon and made myself the orange wiggle and, <laughs> and composited myself in there. And then like surprised my kids one day when they were watching the show, they thought they were just watching the show, but they were watching the video that I had made. And then all of a sudden I like creep in the frame, like dancing <laughs> with everybody else. <laughs> and, uh, I, I just got such a kick out of it just because I finally was able to actually do what was in my head for so long. Yeah. But I posted it. Nothing really happened for the first day. And then the next day, it just started. I never had anything go viral. Um, never had anything go viral. And the next day, like the 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 likes just started coming in and the follows started coming in. Like every maybe, maybe uh, 50 a second. Um, wow. So I was just like refreshing and... It was very interesting. I mean, that lasted for two weeks straight. Really? So I ended the two weeks and I think I went, I don't, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but I got from basically, you know, 10 followers to 20,000 in two weeks. And um, then it just kind of stopped from there because I kind of didn't keep that that momentum going or whatnot. So I, I still post on occasion, but it's nothing like that. You know, that that's really... Um, all that got my account going at that time was and that one video. Was that your first piece of content? Um, I think I had posted, I had posted a couple other things before that, just with my kids and, um, kind of just, you know, again, just keeping, uh, kind of an ear to the ground or just kind of experimenting with how, how do you use this platform? You know, like how yeah. are people using it? What's, what's out there? And so I'd done maybe like five or six posts prior to that. And then I did this this big wiggles video that was like my moment right uh, um that's my claim to fame and i'd like met i'd like met people from north carolina one day and they were talking about you know we were talking about tiktoks and whatever that's really when everything started blowing up on that platform and i was like oh yeah i posted this video like where i met myself a wiggle and they're like i saw that video <laughs> like so it was, a, it was enough that like it went viral enough but it was very you know it was a drop in the bucket compared to probably what a lot of other um, accounts do yeah. on, a, on a daily basis now. On Got a friend, like uh, a friend named Rebecca Ridner, and she was a, a guest on the podcast. And she's got mm-hmm. a really interesting story about like being in a cult. And she there on TikTok. Yeah. Oh, you've you've seen I, her. I follow that account. Yeah. Well, you and like, I showed it to my <laughs> wife because I was like, this is nuts. Yeah. Did you know she's from Knoxville? Yes. That's why I followed her because I was like, I had seen some things. Um, and they were talking about Knoxville and I was like, oh, whoa, these, I was like, these women are in our town. Yeah. And they're talking about, you know, kind of their past trauma and cults and things like that. And part of it was interesting to me because I, 
you know, I um, am a am a person of Christian faith, but I also know that you, you know there's a lot of areas where that people have been harmed sure. by by you know people taking advantage of that or not not really living out kind of um, a healthy faith, right? And so I was really intrigued by all that, and then I found out like I, I kind of made the connection. I think through some of those videos where she had, I think it was the hive. Was it the mm-hmm. hive that she yeah. had done? Yeah. Um, so all that, never met her, don't know her. Uh, really just, as, you know, only saw their account. But I thought it was really great that they were, um, you know, that they had sort of found some healing after the the trauma that they've experienced and stuff. And then that they're kind of sharing their stories. It's pretty cool. Yeah. she was. Uh, she's been on the podcast twice. Uh, and the first one, we dug into the cult really deep really, and talked a lot about it. And I don't even know if her TikTok channel has gotten as deep into that Whoa. story okay. as we did on the podcast. It was fascinating because mm-hmm. that went viral. The, our, our podcast did. Did it? Okay. Yeah. It's, I think, I don't know, I have to ask Sam, but I think it's the most listened yeah. to one still. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating though, how you can, you can, hit something resonate i think their first video they made for the for the cult stuff on tiktok got like four million views and all of a sudden they had a hundred thousand followers right away Hmm. and it's like what a great way to start a business or you know keep going with that and and make something happen out of it so it doesn't just exist in your phone you know it's not just you making content Hmm. that gets out there and you know maybe maybe helps you feel good or something like that but but you can actually turn it into you know something that you can monetize and do for a living if it's oh, if sure. it's what you're passionate about. Sure. Yeah. Did you think about that when you had the a, a video go viral? Uh that, you know, hey, should I how do I make the next piece of content to get this many views? Um, I, I knew no. Um I knew what I would need to do if I was gonna do that, right? Like you have I, to think I, about it for two years and then I, finally make well, another no, video. I, I knew like, okay, this kind of hit, right? That one thing hit and um I knew that okay, maybe I should try to keep some of this momentum going by continuing to post. And at that time, everyone was talking about like, oh, you got to crack the algorithm and you've got to post, you know, three times a day and whatever it is. And I'm like, I ain't got that kind of time. Um, uh, So I kind of knew, I knew that if I just had the world as my oyster and I had all the time in the world, what I would kind of recommend somebody do when they have something hit like that. Um, but I knew, I think I also knew for me at that time and really now that it's just not, it wasn't worth it to me to put in that kind of time and work to keep it going. Um, at least initially, cause it was just like, I was just doing this for fun. Like on the side, I wasn't trying to, um, make a business out of yeah, it. I mean, I had a business, I have a business going, right. So I have like responsibilities and like, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, um, but I do think it's fun. I, I think in an ideal world, man, I, again, I think it'd be so great to be able to have a a piece of what I get to do in video be um, be fun fun things with my kids and my family. Yeah. So um, there's a part of me that would really love that. But I also, I, I think at the time, just it was like, I don't have the energy to like kind of keep this up right now. And I think I went, after that, I think I went probably three months without posting and it just kind of, kind of killed the momentum. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't worry about too much. I think w- having that go viral too, you kind of see, I mean, the dopamine rush is real. Is it? Yeah. Like when, when you're, when your phone's blowing up every, the, the dopamine every second? is real. Yeah. I mean, I, I turned off, eventually I would turn off the notifications just because you can't, 
Right. You can't contain it. Right. Um, but then when everyone's like commenting, like how, how like cute your kids are, how great of a dad you are. And, and you're sitting there like, I'm not that great of a dad, but like, you know, they just see this one piece of video and they're like, oh, this is great. And they comment. And, and so it's just like, you're getting comments, you're getting likes, you're getting follows. I'm seeing my follower count go up 2000 people every single day. It just, it, it's kind of like, even though you know better and you know it, it's, it's somewhat uh, what, like futile or, or it doesn't really mean much. There's still this like kind of, as an ambitious person, I think there's still this inkling of emotion that you get where you're like, oh, I just got to refresh my phone. I just want to see. Really? I just want to see what's going You know what I mean? So, I think that's what social media in general capitalizes on. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Especially the, especially the short form. I mean, like, because yeah. it's so, you know, in 15 seconds, you can download all this information and then you're on to the next thing that it's feeding you. But I think they capitalize on the fact that they know that those dopamine hits mean something to people. Oh, and, yeah. and that's why they're quick to show you if somebody likes your stuff. Because it makes it, you know, mm -hmm. make you feel good. Yeah. I kind of thought too, that there may be even a piece of that. You know how like an email, um, a lot of times it'll, it'll, you'll get an email. It's like, oh, you left this in your cart. Like you didn't buy this thing. Yeah. Um, it just kind of remind you. Sometimes I felt like if I, even in this two week period where it was just like, I wouldn't open the app, it would, it would make sure that it sent me notifications yeah. or or got my video in front of more people so that more people would like it just so I, when I returned to the app, it would be like, whoa, like this is awesome, you know? Cause it just, again, it feeds your, your, your brain really yeah. to, to want more. Did you see the social dilemma? Did you watch that uh, movie? I know I did not watch that. I've, I only, I've heard about it from, um, a number of people that are just like, wow. Yeah. If you watch that, you like, you really won't want to have anything to do with social media. It's kind of crazy, but I, I actually, I actually know two of the dudes that were in that movie and played pretty big roles in that film. And really? I had heard so much about the movie, but I had no idea they were in it. And so you can imagine my surprise when I'm like sitting there <laughs> watching that film and Chris Grundy was in there as the dad of the family. And then, uh, Vinny Karchizer, who is in, uh, Mad Men, he's Pete Campbell on Mad okay. Men. He's in there too, as like exactly what you were just talking about is like strategically putting out push notifications. It's like, Oh, he hadn't, he hadn't talked in a while or he hadn't, he hadn't opened the oh, app sure. in a while. Let's, uh, let's send him a push notification, uh, from, uh, from where Tyler just posted something, you know, right. let's, right, let's, right. let's, let's, uh, let's get him back engaged. Let's get him to where the endorphins can hit him again. Yeah. I don't know. I think because do you feel like, because you're in video in, in a professional sense, you, you, you're much more aware, I think, of what's going on in that world than other people. I don't know. I mean, I think I'm just as I'm I'm a consumer of it just as much as anybody else. Like I think yeah. in with like I guess with movies and television, I'm more uh, aware that I'm wa what I'm watching than I am with 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 social media content. So social media content, I'm still like an active participant in it i'm my suspension of disbelief is there like i'm still <laughs> engaged in it but yeah, with yeah. with film and, and and television i'm always watching it thinking of it uh in more of a technical or oh, tactical or creative so it's hard sense. it's harder for you to just kind of sit back and enjoy a movie mm -hmm. but social yeah. media is more like oh i'm just for sure vegging out yes exactly yeah. because i feel like it's not as i don't know i, I, I really don't think that I, I know that i guess they're the same medium kind of 
but it but the 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 approach is so different and what they're trying to get out of you is so different yeah uh it's trying to entertain you in a different way but not necessarily but but you're very aware i guess with social media you're very aware of what it is and what you're watching mm-hmm. um but with film and film and television, they want you to not be aware of what you're watching. They want sure. you to be engaged in a story to where you don't realize that you're watching a movie or mm-hmm. television. You know what? I feel like I've I love movies and I love docu series and things like that, more like long form. Yeah. But I even think for me, like because of this short form kind of, uh, in, you know, the increase in the amount of short form stuff, I feel like I have less and less patience. Mm. For the long form, yeah. I, I'm just like, yeah. It's, it's that instantaneous like thing. Yeah. It feels so when I, like it's happening everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Thresholds of of patience are are lowering, attention spans lowering. It's got to have something to do with that and the way that we're taking in content. Oh no, yeah, yeah. Without it's a like doubt, we're adapting. But it's so nice, like when you do sit down and you watch a very like thought provoking, you know, documentary or just being entertained in general with a, a film or something. It's it's just. It's a breath of fresh air, I think, compared to, you know, the the day to day what what we're seeing. Yeah, out it's there. it's almost like the difference between watching hockey and watching <laughs> baseball. Like like if you're mm. watching hockey, you're you're sitting there every there's a hit every five seconds. There's something big and important happening mm-hmm. all the time. When you're watching baseball, you are sitting on the couch <laughs> on a Sunday, <laughs> like just kind of letting it all happen and trying to engage and and being uh you know. Uh, you got to take some time out to watch a baseball game. Hockey, you you're getting excited every, you know, you gotta have few some minutes. Patience. Yeah. 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 You take a risk with baseball sometimes on like, and then, and I, I grew up playing baseball, but I think as an adult, I've just kind of lost touch with the game. Me too. But, um, ever since they stopped take, taking steroids, it's so yeah. boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Or well, you got judge, you got judge now that hit his 60, 61 or whatever. Yeah. Um, Is the season over? No, I think they've got, and I only know this because I I watched this the a short form highlight today. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, he hit sixty one, I think yesterday, and there's like maybe seven or eight games left. Okay, so he's um, gonna break the record, the American League so. record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not gonna break the seventy three or whatever it is that Bonds yeah. did back in the in the in the Royd days. Yeah, um, Bonds and wild. Sosa and McGuire. McGuire, yeah. They both they both broke the re- Mar- Maris's that record. Was, I mean, that was a that was a crazy time in baseball too. Not that we had to go on this baseball tangent, but like that was It's what brought it back from the strike in like nineteen ninety two or oh, nineteen ninety three. Yeah, I forgot about the strike. Baseball went down hard uh-huh. in the nineties and then it stayed down until you had this excitement with the Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa yeah. home run race to sixty one that they both I think they ended up hitting like sixty five and sixty three, or they both broke Maris's record and then right. Bonds came back a couple of years later and I think he hit like seventy one year and then seventy three the year after that. Those guys looked like they had five gallon buckets on top of their shoulders. Their heads were gigantic. <laughs> looked like big yeah. cylinders. And then, their jaw, they look like hammerhead sharks. Yeah. I, I remember when it's I guess Sosa kind of quit juicing and he, he just kind of shrunk up yeah. a lot. I don't know if you remember that, but it's like after he yeah. After that whole like debacle, he just didn't look the same anymore. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. Wild. It's amazing what people will do to succeed, you know? Yeah. And and to win. But it is is it's also like it is amazing. I, I I'd like to say that I would never subject myself to something like that. But I think like they're at such an elite level and like competitive, any Olympian or any professional yeah. athlete, it's like there's probably just a lot of 
you've got a lot of passion for the game. You, you want to be the best. I can almost, I can see why or how people fall into that. Yeah. I mean, to gain an, a competitive edge. Especially if it feels like it's like a commonplace thing. Like, yeah. oh, this this guy you're competing against is doing it. This guy you're competing against. Yeah, you'd be against crazy not it. to. All the pitchers you're facing right. are doing it too. <laughs> right. You're going to be. Yeah, you're like, how do you, how do you even <laughs> get a leg up yeah. with any of that? So, uh, uh, let's say, like, I, I'd like to know how you got to where, to where you're at now. Were you born in Knoxville? I was born in South Korea. Really? Yeah. But. That's awesome. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Sure. Thanks. <laughs> you weren't born I, in North not, Korea. Not, it wasn't my doing. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I wasn't born in North Korea. I, I, I feel like, yeah, when you say you're Korean, I mean, people generally, I think, that understand or like he's probably odds of him being North Korea are very slim. Oh yeah. Just cause they don't really get out much, you know? <laughs> um, but I, <laughs> I feel like, uh, South Korea, you know, you always say like, Oh yeah, I was born in South Korea. Um, but yeah, so I, it was Pusan, South Korea. Um, I was adopted, uh, when I was three months old. Oh wow. To Tennessee. So no way. I've basically, so you don't remember Korea at all. No, no, not at all. Um, Pusan, is that on the coast? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of uh south southeast coast. So it's like a beach town and it's very uh actually I had a chance to visit as an adult. I was twenty nine, thirty years old when I visited mm. uh for the first time and uh went to Pusan and it's just I mean, it's a massive city. It's a massive city, um, and it's just a big tourist beach town really like, kind of vibe. Yeah. Did what what was it like when you visited? How'd you feel about it? Was, um, was it, it had to feel weird. Did yeah, it? Yeah. Um, it felt weird. Um, I've never seen so many Asian people in my life. <laughs> well, if you I've go to felt, Asia, it'll I've do never that. felt so uncomfortable around Asian people in my life. Um, and I'm sitting here like, man, there's so many Asian, like I, you know, I'm sitting here and here I am like looking exactly like them. And, and, uh, but that also made it hard because I think, I knew none of the language. Right. And there's some, there was some people that speak English there, but I think because I don't look American and I look like a civilian there. Yeah. You don't really get people trying to help or offer help. Mm. Um, and so it really felt like the loss in translation because everyone's thinking that, oh, this guy looks American. I mean, sorry, this guy looks Korean. He, he knows what he's doing. He's just a regular, regular guy here. And I'm sitting here like, I don't even know how to, like, what am I supposed to, I, I waited at a restaurant, I think for 45 minutes, like waiting for someone to like bring my check. And like, I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing in the, you know, in certain areas of, of day-to-day kind of life there, or tourism there. Um, <laughs> Were you by yourself? No, I was with my wife. Oh, that's um, cool. Do you have kids yet? At that time, we did not have kids. Okay. So, so it's just you two. It was just us. And, and so, and, and this story, this is like a, it goes a little further than or deeper than just us visiting over there. So, um, I had, you know, again, I was raised in Knoxville, you know, basically born and raised. Um, my parents are, are white country Carnes folk. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's what I, um, was familiar and, and accustomed to. And, uh, um, as I got older, you know, there's a point, I was probably 24, around 24 years old. And I, I just felt like really as a storyteller, started thinking about my story, right? Mm. Just of my life and where everything was at, taking inventory kind of more introspective type of stuff. And 
just like, man, I'm like, I've got this whole story um, that's a part of my life that is is South Korean. Um, that means I have a, a birth mom, a birth dad, a biological mom and dad. And right. I had, each of them had, had, just through the adoption records, I knew that each of them had kids of their own on their um, sides of the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't married when they had, had me. I was kind of had out of wedlock. And, uh, but I, I'm like, okay, and then I've got like, half siblings right. around the world, you know, like yeah. that I have no clue about. And I'm like, that's a whole story yeah. that's going on on the other side of the earth that I'm not privy to, that I don't know, but I, that I felt like at that time, I'm like, you know, it's not this like audible, like, oh, I, I heard God speak about this, but it was kind of like, I feel like God, this is a kind of a opportunity that God's given me. Not everybody's adopted. Not everybody yeah. has the... Even or the the means or the chance to explore what that what that is or what that looks like, and so that was a time where I was like, I I, I really think I want to visit South Korea, and I never had really desired that prior mm. in like twenty four years of life growing up in Tennessee. I just I loved life in Tennessee and my family here, and uh, but that was a moment. It was like I, w- I want to tap into this story a little more, and then once I got married, it was like okay, I now I have a sort of a a lifelong spouse partner that I, I would really like to share this with. Yeah. And um and then I reached out to the adoption agency. Really? And I said Is that is that a bold move? Feels like a bold move. Uh it was it was um I guess so. I think at the time <laughs> I just felt it just felt like, well, if I'm going to South Korea, I might as well reach out to the adoption agency. Yeah. Um how did your parents feel about it? They they were fine with it. I think I don't know if they thought if there's any part of them that thought like maybe I would like develop some sort of like oh I just am going to be really connected with my birth right. parents or something like that and like have I don't think there really wasn't any sort of jealousy but I think if I if I was going to read into the situation a little bit it might have been like oh well, I wonder what you know I wonder if they were curious at what what your reason was for doing it? Yeah, or what the re- yeah, what the reason was and what maybe the relationship would end up right. after the fact. Yeah, and if it would be good net good for you or not. Right, sure. Yeah. And for me, I, I you know, I, there are a lot of people that have been adopted or been in foster care and that sort of thing that have a lot of do have some serious like le- like trauma and legitimate um just things that they wounds or things that they need to work through to reconcile some of that. I think for me, I never really felt that mostly because I was so young when I was adopted mm. and I had a healthy family growing up. I mean, right. everybody's family is crazy to some extent and mine is no different. <laughs> I've realized that as I've gotten older too, you're looking back and you're like, y'all did a good job hiding the my, crazy. Yeah. Like <laughs> how are, what? <laughs> like, how do you guys function in life? Like, uh, and now that I was, I'm, you know, you, you realize your parents didn't have it all together. No, right? they were faking it too, man. They're faking it, and now, now as a parent, you're like, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, like, but you're also like, my kids have no idea that I have no idea what I'm doing. Right? Yeah. So, um, I yeah, I forgot kind of my my train of thought there, but it was just like, man, I, I, yeah, I, let me reach out to the job agency agency hold international i literally just emailed them um they looked at my record uh i told them we were, when we were going i got a call from them three months later i was on my lunch break at work and i was like in the lowe's parking lot eating a chick-fil-a sandwich like in my car you know <laughs> and i get this call it's like oh this is a whole international i was like hey and they said um 
Yeah, we uh, we located your birth father, and he's he would love to meet you. No way. Yeah. And well, the, so you had a decision to make, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I to or me, did was, you already know you wanted? I, I to? knew. Yeah, without a doubt, I knew that I wanted to because what an opportunity for me. It was like, who has like, people search for their birth families for years or decades sometimes. Is is that a thing with? I mean, I would feel like there'd be two ways you could go uh, being adopted and mm-hmm. finding out with your who your birth family was. You could either say, yeah, I'd love to meet them or screw them, you know? Yeah, sure. And I'm sure people do both of those things. I don't know, without a doubt. Regularly. Without a doubt. For me, it was, um, you know, I hadn't, I had no reason to say, to have any ill will against him because I think because of the, because I felt, like I guess blessed in the current situation that I am with my life and where I where I've ended up. Um it was almost like I felt gratitude in a way for my birth family because they they didn't have to put me up for adoption. Right. They could have tried to make it work even though maybe they felt like they weren't in a financial spot to do that or they couldn't give me the the full attention that it that they knew that a, a, a young baby would need mm. the loving care. Yeah. You know, they, I think, I think even now that I know more about the situation, like relationally, I don't think they're in a good spot. Right. Um, so I think they knew that we can't raise this baby in a healthy environment. And so, uh, unselfishly, I think they said, we think adoption is the best for this baby's future. Mm-hmm. That baby just so happened to be me. And I ended up having a good situation um, and a loving family right. growing up that, that a lot of kids don't have. And even kids that do get adopted or foster care sometimes don't have. Mm. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's one of those like, look, not necessarily look of the draw, but it's one of those, like, I feel very fortunate and grateful right. to have had that. So, so, you know, having the opportunity to meet my birth father was just like, it was big for me because I was like, I've never uh, you've probably seen a relative before in person. Yeah. I hadn't. I was 29 years old. Never seen anyone in the face <laughs> that I was blood related to. That's crazy. Which to isn't, doesn't change. It's not like a radical, doesn't really change your life practically. But I think just the idea of that, right? Most people see a family member at some point yeah. <laughs> uh, on the regular. So for me, it was like, never seen anyone in my DNA. Um and like I said, never seen that many Asian people in general. <laughs> and so, uh, I, you know, just going over there and getting a chance to do that, um, was, was pretty, pretty cool. And, um, so you did meet him. I did meet him. Yeah. We, we showed up to the agency. They had, a um, uh, they were scheduled the translator to be there. My wife and I would get on the bus. Um, and the only reason they located him is cause he's still, he's kind of like a cab driver there. Mm. Um, he still lived at the same address that was on the adoption record. That's awesome. And he still he was a cab driver then. And he's a cab driver now. No way. So it's still same job. Um, and what's funny is my dad was a UPS package truck delivery driver here and did that his whole life from like twenty <laughs> to sixty. He just retired like last year. Um, That's awesome. So they're both drivers, but um, <laughs> the, yeah, did the same thing his whole life, same same house, and so they were able to find him. He wanted to meet, which is kind of rare, I think, in that culture, for people that perfection is such a big deal and mm. I, I i just learned this when I, we were over there but 
you know, some people will give a kid up for adoption because they have special needs or various mm. reasons. And then they kind of out of sight, out of mind, they kind of don't want anything to do with that child anymore. Right. And so the fact that he was still like excited to meet me was like kind of rare in itself as well. Wow. So a lot of things fell into place. But anyways, we get on the bus, we're going to meet my birth father. Um, we can't read the signs of the sure. stops on the bus to know where we're going. And so we end up 45 minutes late mm. to the uh, to the appointment. I'm like filming it at the time, like with my camera and documenting the practice. I'm like, this is conflict. Like this yeah. is good for the story, right? Like, this <laughs> And is your good. wife's like, dude, we, my, we're gonna miss my it. My <laughs> wife's like bawling <laughs> in really? tears, like turn the camera off. Like this, she was just yeah. so stressed out. Yeah. And so we, we start walking up to the, find the building, we start walking up to it. And there's just this dude like smoking a cigarette on the corner of the street. And he looks me in the eye and he's about my height. And you know, he's just, if you imagine this is like guy just out there smoking and he's just like, Myung-Soo, which is like my hospital, the name the hospital gave me, like mm. my birth name in South Korea. And that's where I met my birth father. It was right there on the corner of the street. Dude. And uh, um, we, walk, we walk in together and go up to the translator and then we spend like an hour with the translator just kind of like talking and I made him a little scrapbook of my life to, to kind of leave with him. So yeah, dude, it was cool. It was, that is awesome. Man. And the guy, the guy took his, he took us out to dinner after, um, and like got drunk at dinner. So like, Your dad did? Yeah. Like <laughs> he was like drinking so, a whole bunch of sake shots yeah. and stuff. He just loved, he was very like appreciative of us being there. And then the next day he took us around uh, the city and showed us like the villages and different places. And we met his sister, which had been my, you know, biological aunt. And yeah. she was like crazy lady. Yeah. Everyone has a crazy aunt, yeah. you know, and they were just so hospitable. Um, he didn't, you know, it's not like he had a lot of money or anything like that, but like they wanted to pay for our train and like, just wanted to pay for our food. And so sweet. We couldn't speak a word to each other, but we're just like pointing. And, um, so yeah, man, it was, it was kind of magical in that, in that right. And, uh, um, just a very significant trip. And, uh, you know, but again, it, it was hard. It was a hard trip because again, culturally we're just lost in translation and that, that piece was kind of difficult, but, um, but, but yeah, man, that, that was, a you know, obviously we'll never forget. What a heck like of a story. Yeah. Were you going for that reason or were you just going to, well, I was, I was going to South Korea. I was going to go regardless. Yeah. Um, we, we kind of did this whole trip, um, to like, on the way there, our layover was in Paris. So we did like a three-day three, three day layover in Paris. Oh, nice. Ran around there and then went to South Korea. Which was probably less of a culture shock than, than the yeah. country you were born in, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. A lot more English-speaking. Felt right at home in there. Paris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then we went to Pusan and then we, we rode a train up to Seoul, spent some time in Seoul. Um, and then, and then came back home, um, which is just, it was just a fascinating place to be. And there's so much American culture up there. There's KFCs everywhere. I'm like, Asians love, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, Seoul in particular, I think there was a lot of like chicken joints and stuff. And I'm yeah. like, Asians love fried, I love fried chicken. Yeah. Asian loves fried, um, it's, in, it's in my blood. <laughs> and then I saw like a guy wearing a Yankees hat and I was like, oh, the Yankees in it. And he like had no clue who the Yankees were, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the fashion, the the yeah. sort of American fashion and stuff is, is very prevalent up there. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I learned a lot. Um, we had tickets to go to the DMV, but it got, uh, 
um the dmz dmz sorry yeah. i said DMZ. i was like why would you do that man <laughs> subject yourself to- <laughs> yeah, right the dmz i was, I was super stoked about it. i'd watch all these documentaries on it and uh there was like some high tension alert the day we had tickets to go oh. so they like canceled yeah. all the all the all the things like that but anyways to to round all this out like it's really cool the first time i ever seen anyone again that i was related to but but then like a couple years after that we have our first child um little baby girl and it's like i see her every day like oh, you know what i mean like yeah. now now i'm like i've got kind of you know my my kin you know on a daily basis that's special man house. so that's that, really special as a storyteller that's kind of how i have processed it of like you know not that that story is complete yet but it's just like that's a nice little conclusion for me um and i've i've we've written back and forth um kind of letters uh with my biological father yeah and things like that the agency will translate it that's great back which it's it's i'm long overdue another letter right now but um yeah it's just been a neat little thing to to be a part super cool man so when when you when you grew up here you you grew up your parents are white so just like a east tennessee Carnes family baby yeah 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 that's great so what was life like growing up just you Um, brothers and sisters yeah yeah so i have a sister who was actually adopted so my family um my mom and dad adopted me um they didn't have any other kids prior to that um and then they adopted my sister from the philippines so she's not my biological sister but she's my sister you know she younger she is younger yeah she's about four years younger and uh she was adopted, but she, you know, so I, I lived in a foster family for a very short amount of time. So you get some, some personalized care there and attention as an infant. And then I was with my family here. She was in an orphanage, kind of an overcrowded orphanage for over a year. Oh, wow. Um, and was a premature baby yeah. when she was born. And so, so she probably needed some help when she got to the States. Yeah. I mean, I think she's, she, um, you know, I love, I love, I love her and, and she's great, but it's, it's definitely like, you know, there was definitely some, um, you can just see the, the, the consequence of, of, I think her birth family was also like on, um, on, did certain types of drugs and things like mm. that. And, um, you know, so she's, she's a fully independent adult and we, she has a, um, a nephew who's I think eight now, maybe nine, about to turn nine, I think. So she's, um, she said she's had a kid. Yeah. So, so, um, but but growing up, it's like she always had a you know, a little bit of um, I guess what what am I, like kind of like just learning disability. Yeah, a little C- harder certain time. things were certain analytical things didn't come easy to her. Yeah. So she had to study her butt off in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, it's and, crazy how much like how much de- development happens in the first year of your yeah, life. You yeah, know, and if you miss wild. out on some of it, it's really hard to catch up. I read some study about like between the I think the age of one and two how much like how much growth your brain goes through mm-hmm. in just that one year mm-hmm. and if you you know if you're not set up well for that year to happen or if that you know if you spend that year not not working it as hard as it can be then it's really hard for people to catch up sure from what yeah. I was reading yeah sure yeah I, I mean it's it's that childhood develop early childhood development you know profession or science it's really a science but yeah. it's just like that that kind of stuff's pretty wild to see because yeah. i think you know we as we as parents just 
you kind of get thrown in that world, right? Especially with your first kid, like you just have no clue really what you're doing, mm-hmm. and you try to love them the best you can and and everything. But the, there is like everything in those periods, and even now, probably for us, is like it's still so meaningful to the long whatever long term, you know, dividends. Hopefully, some of this pays for our for our kids as they grow up. It, it's so. worth it's worth putting the effort into to take good care of your take good care of your kids best you can. Try no to doubt. teach them best you can do what's advised mm-hmm. anyway do what we think is right sure i think yeah. it pays off and if it doesn't pay off at least or if it doesn't work out you did <laughs> you did what you could yeah you did you gave did it our, we did our best yeah we did our best so what were you into growing up were you into into sports and, and i always yeah. feel like people take like a, an arts career like they're either in musical theater or they and, play basketball <laughs> yeah but that that's where i was that's where i was the outlier I yeah think. did you do both i did both I so did like i i remember going leaving practice in high school uh i think it was wrestling practice at the time leaving wrestling being like coach i gotta leave wrestling practice. i gotta go like to this musical theater rehearsal yeah and go put on tights and, a ma- and makeup or whatever yeah. you know like stage makeup and stuff and i gotta switch like, these tights for was, some more tights right, like, it was like a middle it was like a medieval musical um some people had like you know like like king and queen costumes and stuff and um i remember just my coach you know coach would let me go and stuff but he just you give me a little bit of a hard time about going, you know, doing that kind of stuff. But I think I always, I grew up loving sports, um, baseball, basketball, um, obsessed with like, that was a, the the heyday of Michael Jordan in yeah. the league, you know, three-peat. Like, yeah. that was the repeat three-peat. Like that was, I remember those days vividly. And I, all I wanted to do was like be a professional basketball player. And my fifth grade teacher looked me in the eye and said, you're never going to be a professional basketball player. <laughs> I was 10, you know, like, and I was like heartbroken. (laughs) I was like. A person that you look up to so much. I'm going to show you. I was like, you know, I was going to show her that I was going to be a professional basketball player. Did you ever point to Muggsy Bogues and be like, hey, look at this guy. Every day of my life, dude. Every day of my life. And I was like, if Muggsy Bogues can do it, he's 5'3". If Muggsy Bogues can do it, like, I'm getting to the league, dude. Yeah. Like, I'm getting that contract. (laughs) I, like, couldn't even make my middle school basketball team. Really? (laughs) <laughs> but but you know um i'm five three now so me and mugsy like we're we're on the same uh, high level there so it's amazing it's like i don't know if that's ever going to happen again in the nba oh yeah somebody, somebody that, that size that, that size and and he was a contributor you know like he yeah. was he was a legit point guard and um what was that guy that played for the knicks recently um Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson. Yeah, yeah. I, I follow all the short dudes, man. Spud yeah. Webb, Nate Robinson. <laughs> um, you know, I'm gonna even throw Chris Paul in there because he, he's he's, but he's he's got a little more height on him. What's he say? Like, he's five eight. Chris Paul. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. He's probably like six one. <laughs> but he's small. Yeah, no, no. He's tiny. I mean, I remember John John Stockton. I think is six one. Dream Team. John yeah. Stockton. Utah Jazz. Like, but in the Dream Team photo, he had to stand on a. An like apple a, box? Yeah, like an apple box. He's six one. I'm like, dude, I would give my left arm to be six one. Like <laughs> but he's tiny, you know? Um so anyways, I, I was really big into sports, um in that way, but I think uh also really loved the creative stuff, man. I loved making movies. I tried to recreate the sandlot with my neighbors, like Oh, fun like did movie. you make a fake dog and a fence i just and... tried to, yeah like they they didn't want to, you know i'm the one like trying to run run this get everyone together to do this stuff and like they didn't really care they didn't care as much as me like 
But I, I just loved all the, I loved trying to recreate these movies as a kid and The Little Giants was like a football movie. I, I loved it. That. With the sticky hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a great um, movie. That's right around Angels in the Outfield. They, and yeah, like dude, all those... they don't make those like they used to. Either. I'm going to say that right now. Like, yeah. Those those coming of age, like sport kid movies was, was like my jam. And like The Sandlot, you watch it and, and like I, I I saw it, it was on like at a it's restaurant still together. It's still great. Yeah. And it was a period piece because it was made in yeah. like the 90s, but it was took place in the yeah. 50s maybe or yeah. something like that. And now that. all those actors are on TikTok now too. If you Are if they? You have, if you haven't gotten to that world yet. The Mighty they, Ducks. Mighty Ducks. Amazing. Yeah, I wanted to play hockey. Um, They're remaking that. They're making a TV show out of it. Yeah. Okay. I tried to play hockey. I was gonna play. I wanted, really wanted to play ice hockey, and then I got a concussion when I was ice skating, Mm. and like that pretty much shut that off for me. Dude, hockey is crazy. I went. I'm wearing an Edmonton Oilers hat right now. I went to. uh, I went to Canada to shoot a uh, like a a, an outdoor. series last year and mm-hmm. went to or earlier this year and i went to an edmonton oilers game and i fell in love with watching that sport man those guys are so good and they're all like a bunch of linebackers who can run four fours and have hand and stick skills like crazy right. it's amazing the stuff those guys are doing it's it's nuts i don't see how i don't see how uh i I don't see how people can do that. They move like they're so graceful, but they're gigantic. They're like right. Brian Urlacher out there, you know, six yeah. foot four skating. Well, around. and I've never, I've always heard that the predator, the you know, and the predators have been good in recent years and stuff. And it's like, just heard that going to their games is just such a entertaining experience, even if you don't follow hockey. I mean, my 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 closest thing is like we went to a ton of uh, ice bears games. Yeah, in, in high school, like yeah, my buddy uh, Ian Lapierre, he's from. Uh, He's from upstate New York, huge hockey guy, comes from a French-Canadian family, lived, you know, 90 minutes from Montreal growing up. Like, he may as well be Canadian, and he loves hockey so much. And he told me that Nash- that the Nashville Predators almost have, like, a college football vibe to their uh, – to their mm. uh, crowds at their games. They have all these chants that they do during the games, and it's just kind of a – a different vibe that the crowds have uh, in in Nashville, and people notice it. It's a really fun place, apparently, yeah. to to go to a game and to watch a game. And you know, they went to the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. It was good to right. good for the city. Sure, good for the state. I don't think you could find like predator like predator stuff. I think sold out like everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever do you ever think about uh, about <clears throat> opening an office in Nashville or doing more work in Nashville or? Um, no, not opening an office. No, um, I've I've generally kind of thought like, okay, what would it look like? Because we, you know, I know some people in other cities that I've worked with and stuff in the past. It's like, well, you could have the kind of these little like mini satellite kind of places. Um, I've thought about it. I would love to work more in Nashville. I think there's there's cool things happening, and and the people I know in Nashville that are kind of in the creative scene. Like I've always just really appreciated them and there's good vibes there i think in terms of like the energy of being a creative person sure you don't always find that in knoxville yeah it's gotten a lot better but it's still not it's still not there's just pockets of it right where i feel like nashville is a little more like oh you turn left or right anywhere in 12 south or or around belmont it's like you're you're just you're inundated with people that want to create and kind of would deem themselves as a creative person yeah. but um so yeah i think the energy there is cool and i i i you know i talked with some younger kids they're 
going to Belmont, starting up at Belmont and stuff. And I'm like, man, you got to just, if I was you, I was, and I was in that situation and could go back in time. It's like, I would just totally take advantage of being in that space. Yeah. Like just around those people. Well, when we were in college, Nashville was not quite what it is now. No. You know? Right. Uh, it feels like it's a lot more, it's, it's, it's a buzz now, you know? Yeah. We shot at 12 South last week and it was tough, man. Like they're just very aware that, that the entertainment industry is there too. And so yeah. like we shot in Memphis, we shot in Chattanooga, we shot in the Tri-Cities, we shot in Knoxville and Nashville was the one where we like, they were asking for film permits everywhere. Yeah. We put it, put a tripod down there. You know, they, they were very aware and wanted to make sure that we were they above board. They know they're the hot shit right now. They do. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's fine. Sure. Good. You know, good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but it reminded me of LA so much, like, cause I lived there for a couple of years <laughs> sure. and it was like, Oh, like the, gr- the gears grinding so slowly of like, can we please just do this and move on and, mm-hmm. and not have to spend, you know, twice as much time, you know, doing this just to, just to run through all the, uh, bureaucracy, of of, right. of doing it and it feels like nashville has just kind of barely hit that threshold or that precipice yeah, in the yeah. last few years to where it kind of knows it's big now yeah i would agree that and i nashville's always kind of been i remember it was very honky-tonk more honky-tonk when i was in high school and i so i transitioned um i was really into sports and then i started learning how to play music learning how to play guitar yeah. and all of a sudden that kind of element of what I enjoyed and from a creative standpoint, like came to fruition and played in some bands and everything. So like we're going to Nashville, going to concerts and like just kind of more in that scene. And that kind of took priority over like things that I liked. And um I remember going to Nashville and it was at this this like punk rock venue slash skate park called uh Rocket Town. Oh okay. And there were all these guys there and they all had on women jeans mm. like tight yeah this is this is like in before, the 90s yeah yeah well, the, yeah probably like early maybe like 2000 okay. or early 2000s okay they had tight pants this is before companies made slim jeans yeah they or were skinny wearing, jeans they were wearing women's things you yeah. had to buy women's jeans yeah so all these dudes are wearing women's jeans i'm like what is going on they're gonna get beat up by like, all these I've punks never, i've never <laughs> heard of like this happening and it, and i thought it was a little strange but again like there's just like the, you know, like punk kids, but the next thing you know, it's like, then it's the, you know, these brands catch on and yeah. it's like, okay, we're going to make slim jeans now. Yeah. By 2006 or 2008, yeah. skinny jeans were coming off the Levi presses. Sure. Yeah. But I, I just will never forget that. Just seeing what was happening kind of in that, again, in that kind of energy there and the yeah. trends going on in, in that town. And then it really kind of seeing it play out across everywhere it's a shiny town it's starting to become one of those with a little bit of cachet where if you're from nashville people give you a little bit of a little bit of extra respect in the film industry sometimes it seems Mm. like yeah sure you know there's i don't know there's always been this like with some of the bigger ad agencies there's always been like this feeling at least me and maybe it's maybe it's not maybe it's not uh maybe it's not a, a a founded uh, kind of observation that I've made, but it feels like there's been this mentality of like, oh, well, if you're not in LA, oh. New York, 
another big city, then you can't do good work. Yeah. And I feel like Nashville has kind of gotten into that same and Atlanta too. So like those are cities that are respected mm-hmm. for directors and cinematographers sure, and all sure, that. Sure. And uh, it's, oh, it's, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I feel like um, because I, I, I kind of feel like an outsider of the creative world because I don't do um, – haven't done any like really big agency work or mm. anything like that in the in the past but i've done really like good work right yeah. like award-winning you know film festival winning emmy winning type of work yeah um i've got you know it's funny like i, I saw this documentary on espn the other day and they had like their telly awards mm-hmm. sitting up in their office and uh emmys and stuff like that i'm like i got a telly award in my office <laughs> and an Emmy in my office and I like but you know it's like I can operate at that level right but I but because I'm a little more like uh uh I don't know not a not from like a bigger agency world or a bigger market or anything like that it's like I probably have a hard time getting a, a second look from a lot of people yeah just because I don't have that other stuff tied to tied to me and I and I don't mean to like you know you know I don't um cry over spilt milk or anything like I'm not too concerned with it but it is something I've thought about it's just like it's it's if I if I was trying to go work for somebody else right now or anything like that it'd be a little more of a sell just because it's like oh I didn't I haven't worked for VaynerMedia or um even VFL Films like I've not done like I've never worked for anybody else other than myself right. in the creative world. Um, so it's a little bit like I don't have that piece to the to the resume, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, you should probably just get a 615 telephone number and yeah. you know, change everything. <laughs> exactly. It was like, okay, if you're an artist, I feel like it used to be like indie band or whatever. If you're from Brooklyn, like yeah. you're, you're, you're a big deal. Yeah. But now it's like, you know, that's Nashville too. It's like every, uh, all these like competition shows uh the the voice and this that and the other thing on tv it's like oh so many people are from nashville yeah there's so much good talent there yeah. there's so much you know it's but but there is that it's like if you're from nashville and you're a good singer people probably are at least going to pay attention to you just because of that like oh this is a good singer from nashville in another place they will you right. know yeah, in, exactly. in nashville sure. it's like oh you're a oh, dime a dozen yeah <laughs> it's like you have an excellent voice and you're you know you write great songs what um uh, what restaurant do you work at? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of how it is. There, when I, so you you lived in LA. I've yeah. I've visited out in LA, and I've I've worked on a web series out there and stuff. And I feel like what was amazing to me out there is there's obviously great talent everywhere. Everybody's trying to make it in the film industry, entertainment industry. But it's like, oh, do you like what do you do? Oh, I work for so and so. Oh, that's cool. Do you get paid? Yeah, that was the second question. It was like a two part question. Do really? you do you work? Like, what are you doing? And are you getting paid for it? Yeah, you know, because there's so much like unpaid work. Out I think there. that's what work is, though, isn't it? Is the thing that you get paid for doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, out there it didn't seem so. And I was like, man, it's. I feel like my my path to doing this professionally it would be a lot quicker if I just do it in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, um, I think you may not be wrong. So it was that was kind of an eye opening thing for me, just the the hustle aspect mm. of it everywhere is anywhere you do creative work is going to be a hustle but it was like is that kind of overcrowded market something that i really want to vie for right um at that time and i think i at one point in time it probably was but at that 
I was a little bit older when I was out there and stuff. And so I was just like, I don't know if that's for me. Um, but I still loved it. I, I, again, I, I loved being kind of in the Mecca of film. Right. And yeah. it was like, that was kind of neat man's Chinese theater. And you're like, Oh, like, I think they were premiering a, uh, a Tom Hanks movie over there at the time. Mm. And it was like, Oh, I think they had all the lights and the red carpet. And it was like, Oh, Tom Hanks, I think is right over there. Probably. Dude, I lived like six or eight like blocks nuts. from that place, and I was so sick of it. I avoided <laughs> it like crazy. I sure, yeah. Right. But one night, like one night, we were, we were like, "Hey, you remember that thing we've been trying to stay away That's from?" That's on the Sunset, right? Is that it's, the right? It's on Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood, okay. Yeah, and we were like, in Hollywood and Highland is okay. kind of the 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 sweet spot there, and I lived on. Uh, Fountain and Gower, which is like yeah, not far I've heard away of Fountain. at all. Yeah, yeah, Fountain is you got the the you got Hollywood Sunset and Melrose. Yeah, the, Fountain the, is in between Melrose. and The only reason I know that is the script of the of the web series I was working on. They did this whole bit where it was like someone trying to give them directions around. There's ah, all these street names, and Fountain yeah. was one of them. Yeah, Fountain's like a like a a, a, a B level street in mm. in in LA, but it runs like the whole like the whole East West. Gotcha. Thing. But I lived, I lived there, and, we, and one night we were like, uh, we were like, man, we've been trying to stay away from Hollywood and Highland our entire lives. <laughs> like, can we go and hang out there one night? And we did, and we had a blast, man, yeah. walking around and just hanging out with all the tourists. Tourist trap, yeah, yeah, getting getting jumped over by the people doing cartwheel acrobatics <laughs> on the street. We were getting involved in everything we could. Oh, it man. was actually kind of fun. I miss it, but every time I go back to LA, I would love it for about fifteen minutes, mm. and then I'm trying to find like a some solitude you know somewhere and yeah sick of hearing about who you know and who you know what what movie you worked on and, and all that it's sure. just like such a game it yeah. seems like but my buddies that live out there and are still working out there are super down to earth and like that's cool don't have ego about it and it's yeah not i like, feel like you could enjoy it if you find your that's probably goes for anywhere right it's like if you find your people yeah kind of like your your crew like that's really what Makes you like a place or something. Yeah. So, well, what was your music career like? Uh, well, where'd you go to college? I, I don't know if you call it. It's not really a career. I went to UT. Okay. Um, went to UT. I, I think I didn't apply anywhere else. I think I I always kind of had when you're young. I thought, okay, I'm gonna go to Michael Jordan went to UNC, so I want to go to UNC. Really? Like, that was kind of like yeah. that was about as far as my process. Why went. not? Um, but at the end of the day, I think I knew even at that time, like out-of-state tuition is just a lot if i stayed in state i like the balls i like ut um that it just made a lot more sense the hope scholarship had started up at that time yeah that i was a little late for that by a little I bit i qualified for that so did you yeah it so was, you, so it was you just, made good grades in high school then yeah i was a i was an ab student that's great for sure yeah uh, ab student and then in college i was like a a to f student yeah, uh, nice. I, I did fail one class in college. Which oh, is wow. Like one class I've ever failed. Were you having too much fun or no. was it just hard? No, it was, was just it hard. Civ it was Western or again, organic I did, chemistry? Yeah, so I did, uh, no, you know what it was? It was thermodynamics. Ooh, and if that, that sounds hard. If that doesn't make you um, want to just vomit, I don't know what does. It uh, sounds like there's a lot of physics involved. There's a lot, yeah. And it and that, that doesn't come that easy to me. So, uh, and I, I did engineering in college. So I went to UT. You had the Hope Scholarship, which was which helped helped out a ton. So that's the that's what happened in like what two thousand four some two thousand what the hope the hope thing. Mm, it's when the lottery yeah. came, right? Yeah. So the yeah. lottery funded uh, any in state in, student that made above a certain grade point average. Correct. Could 
go to any public school in the state of Tennessee on a on a very not was it a full ride? No, it wasn't a full ride. I want to say, and gosh, I've slept since then. And also, UT was not. It was probably half of or, or more of what it is today in terms of tuition. Dude, I remember paying like six thousand dollars a semester at yeah, UT. It was like, I don't know why the the number in my mind is like four thousand. Yeah, to like a semester, so it was like eight thousand a year. It was probably more than that. I, again, I didn't really deal with it too much, but. The hope, you know, covered a, a good amount of that. Wow. Not all. It wasn't a full ride, but I had the hope, and I ended up getting this other scholarship through um, the industrial engineering program that was like an extra fifteen hundred bucks. Um, so that that basically got a lot, the majority of my tuition paid. Um, and uh, that's when you could afford to yeah. work a summer job and pay for college tuition that you know yeah 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 and I, I i worked my first like real job jobs part-time over the summers and things like that yeah uh, worked at blockbuster that's awesome um so in you, the heyday like netflix w you knew blockbuster was going down really yeah so you're like you you felt like you were on a sinking ship really uh-huh so Redbox came first, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Redbox was the big competitor that everybody was worried about. Blockbuster tried to do some like re their own version of Redbox, and then Netflix started shipping DVDs to you, and then that mm -hmm. was like, uh oh. Mm -hmm. And then they started streaming, and that game was over. Just game, game over, <laughs> man. <laughs> so that was cool. I, 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 what else did I do for summer jobs? I waited tables, which I was a terrible server. Um, I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch. Nice. In the mall? In the mall. Do you smell like Woods Cologne all day? Dude, it was wild. Yeah, it's, it's like, it just gets in your nostrils and you can't, can't get, get it out. But Dude. I remember I just, it was easy, probably the easiest job I've ever done. Like I stood outside the store or stood outside the dressing room with the dressing room key on a string and just stood there. That's what I remember <laughs> from that job. And I remember like then trying to do like some tricks with the key. Like I would spin it and like try to toss it and like try to do all these like things just to pass the time. Yeah. Um, there was no like clothes folding to it or like. I did some clothes folding, but a lot of the people in the back did the clothes folding, but they were like the cool kids. Like I didn't really get, yeah. I didn't really get to be the cool kid, but I remember it was when, um, uh, it was, this dates how like my age and stuff, but it was also when, um, one of the Justin Timberlake albums came out, like future sex love sounds, mm. I think. And I thought it was like the weirdest sounding songs at that time, but they were like playing it in the back. And it was like this like dancey kind of techno-y vibe. It was like, you know, when Sexy Back and all those other songs came out. And then it like, but you start listening to it and you, it became like this like pretty great record, I think. Wow. Um, in terms of like what it, what what the yeah, but you never heard, of the music industry was doing at that time. You never heard anything like it, right? No, I thought it was weird. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was kind of strange, and I was just like, like this, "This is a weird. Stone Temple Pilots." Well, okay, so and we'll get into like when Justin. Not that I'm some like Justin Timberlake expert, but when he first came out, like I, I really loved the Neptunes, um, and Sam probably your producer yeah. probably knows all about these hip hop guys uh, and producers. But like, he worked with the Neptunes, so the Neptunes were producing a lot of his records. And I just loved the kind of soulful, soulful uh, hip hop kind of vibe that they have. Yeah. Um, and so that's what that's what I was understanding his sound as. But then that came out with all those kind of uh, the songs that that record had, and it was just different. And 
I ended up really liking the record, but when it, I just remember that was when I was working at the mall when I first heard it, I thought this is weird, like this is strange, but it's funny. Um, I always loved the, the types of art when you first hear it that it's weird, but then it grows on you and you yeah. love it. Like I think Radiohead's like that a lot. Yeah. Where you first listen to Radiohead, you're like, he was an okay computer, and you're like, what in the world is happening right now? I heard a Billie Eilish song the other day, and my first take was like, like what? Mm -hmm. What is this? And then, like, I got in my car later that day. I was like, is anybody looking? Can I, like, turn on this (laughs) Billie Eilish song without somebody? Yeah, dude, she's taking over. over. Yeah. Oh, dude. Totally. And her brother does all the beats for her and stuff. Yeah, Phineas. Yeah. Yeah. I have a younger brother, and he... Um, he really likes Phineas' stuff, so it's yeah. like yeah. apparently he's brilliant. I think so. Yeah, I think then from I watched a production the uh, standpoint, the David Letterman thing. The um, my f- next guest needs no introduction. Yeah, love that show. That's a great. This show. is kind of like what that is, you know, like your podcast kind of vibes. For, yeah. for what his his show yeah. is, um, except he's David Letterman and a very except, thoughtful interviewer. Except his guests are are, are he Barack gets, Obama, Jay Z, and Barack Obama, <laughs> and. Uh, you get Tyler Hayes from Vessel Creatives. So. Dude, I'll take that any <laughs> no, day, yeah. man. No, I do. I, I love those shows. And that's why I was like stoked to be here and at least do something along the lines of stuff like that. Because I love, um, my, my next guest is, uh, even Reese Witherspoon did a show on Netflix where she like interviewed a bunch of people, Dolly Parton and some other wow. f- folks. And I just always find those interesting because if you do take the time to listen to the interviews, you get insight into some of these other creative people and how they think a little more authentically than just like a, a, a major, uh, major, you know, ABC interview or something like that. That's pretty short. Like right. when you get to sit down with somebody for an hour. That's why I think this platform is so powerful podcasting because you, you do get to see like you, you, you're familiar with someone's art as an artist, but to hear them talk about it in their own words and to, you know, for them to be, you know, effectively humanized mm-hmm. to a listener is, is really kind of a trip, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really wild to hear, to see them as human beings and not just this, like, not just these monoliths or not just this art that they've made mm-hmm. that you have completely put on a pedestal and and critiqued to death and 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 not even thought about them as human even and then to right. see like them completely be humanized is a really trippy thing that's really awesome well, it's, and it's probably as as somebody that's a creative business owner and entrepreneur and and also just a you know have a natural bent to just being ambitious and like wanting to tap into that more um listening to these these interviews um, with Jay Z or Billie Eilish or um, just whoever it might be, like it's so it's so motivating to me from like a um like I want to say like a healing way, but just like in a in a way of just relating to the having some empathy for for how they think and right. what they have gone through to to achieve the things that they've achieved, right? And it it's really inspiring. That might be probably the right word. It's like, I, I love listening to these things because it's inspiring to me. There's a podcast on Spotify called the pivot mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a sports podcast. It's previous, uh, NFL guys, but they talk with the other athlete. Like they did one with Charles Barkley. They did one with Inky Johnson from UT. Mm-hmm. If you remember Inky Johnson. Yeah. Um, and they're awesome. Cause they're like, they talk about the sport, but they mostly talk about like what went on in their, 
in their lives when all this stuff was going on. Like kind of like, again, it's a, it's a layers deep conversation, but right. like, it's cool. It's cool to hear. It's how, a, it's an inch wide and a mile deep. Yeah. The, the, you know, right. The it's cool to hear are. like kind of how Charles Barkley processes kind of his role in, in some of the things that he it's gets cool. to do. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. I just find it very fulfilling spiritually and mentally as somebody that lives and breathes, uh, creative content as well to just hear from people that are, that are doing that. Yeah. So I'm with you, man. And it's, um, I'm really glad that we got to meet because it's, it's inspiring to me to see somebody who has taken a risk and has believes in themselves so much that they can get out there and do, you know, all the facets of, of what your business does. And, mm-hmm. and that's everything from creating the content to managing client relationships yeah. to developing business. Like it's, it's a weird, it's, it's a weird conglomeration of skill sets that have to come together to make somebody successful at it. And it's really awesome to see somebody like you who succeeds. It's almost like you kind of, I mean, maybe you're one of those people who would have succeeded no matter what they did, but it really seems like you have found a really good place to fit yourself into sure. the marketplace with the skill sets that you have. And it's no small task, man. Yeah, it's it's not. And I, and I don't take it like, I don't want to ever take it for granted. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when, when COVID, you know, there, there's anyone that started their own business, uh, especially in the creative realm where you're, you know, you need to make money. You want somebody to value your craft. Um, but there's always, there's imposter syndrome. There's always some things that feels like it maybe limits people from reaching a certain place. Um, especially starting out too, it can be very, uh, you know, one month you make a decent amount of money, the next month you're not making anything. Yeah. It's very, it's very up and down. And, and for creative people, that's hard. Um, you know, I, I've noticed that creative people tend to be very, some of the worst money managers I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Yes. And and to have the right brain, left brain thing, or the, you know, the, uh, somebody who's, who's creative enough to make good content or to, to make good art or whatever mm-hmm. it is, but also smart enough to uh, make sure that that big payday doesn't go away immediately. It's hard to find. True. Yeah. Make sure you're you're setting aside money for Uncle Sam and things like that. That guy. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. People's favorite guy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not it's not easy for creatives. And I'm kind of um, and I've seen that over the years. And I think because of my engineering background, that analytical side uh, of the ones and zeros and and problem solving is kind of beat into you over the course of four years right. of, of that. And then I worked as a full time engineer for eight years after mm. college, so it wasn't like I just dove right into being a creative, even though I wanted to. Like I tried to, I tried to get internships, I tried to cold call and put out my resume to work at Pop Fizz or at Pop Fizz wasn't around at the time, but like you know what I mean. I just yeah. tried to get in somewhere, but it was, uh, it, you know, this was right after the recession. It was just an interesting time. And I I had an engineering degree. It's like people are looking at me on paper being like, he has an engineering degree. Like, right. 
what is this going to, how's this going to help us be yeah. a creative company, you know? And so, but I wanted so bad to like work for like some cool hip company with like a cool office and with dogs and one wheels. Yeah. And <laughs> well, yeah. That, yeah. Um, flip flops, uh, ping pong table. Ping pong like, table. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that's just not the card that the hand that I was dealt. And so I, but I did enjoy my, my engineering job. And what that did is it taught me a level of problem solving, um, which, this day and age, I think is like runs my life. Like, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't problem solve, but because I can, it helps me in so many different facets of life. Mm. It helps me in my work without a doubt, like working with clients, like that's how I make money. That's why I make more money than most people is because I can correlate what I can do from a craft standpoint and actually help people solve problems. Mm. And I think when you do that, for a business, they're like, yeah, like it's worth it. It's worth the money. That's and, what they want. They want you to solve a problem for them yeah. and they don't want to do it themselves because it sucks for them. Exactly. But luckily it gives you fuel, you know? Yeah. It's, and it's like, hey, when you run a business, you realize you have problems that you would gladly pay money if someone could solve them. Right. So just again, using empathy, understanding where they're at, but also being confident on what, what I know that that I can produce and what we can produce and that kind of thing. Like it really helps you start to value your craft um, and helps you build your business. Mm. But you know, it took a, it took a little while to get there. Cause initially you're just, you're just um, kind of, it's kind of feast or famine. Mm. And, uh, but I think that's part of the, that's part of been, that's been part of the journey for me. It's never been a, a crazy, like, hockey stick exponential growth or anything like that i've i've intentionally stayed small there's a reason like i love what a lot of these other companies are doing in town like agencies or, or video companies or that kind of thing but i think the route that i've intentionally st taken was just to remain lean small profitable healthy like there's some things that just from a a stress standpoint, I, I personally didn't want to have to deal with. Yep. Um, so I've, I've kept things, intentionally kept things simple over time. Now we're kind of starting to reach a precipice where it's like, okay, well, I, I should probably, I know enough to know that I should, that I need more help in certain areas. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's been, it's, it's an ongoing journey. It's been a, it's been a, it's been slow growth, but like healthy, healthy growth and, and, um, especially coming out of out of the covid years and in the shutdowns and things like that i think that's all that's all i could really ask and hope for right like we 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 had a pretty strong year on that second uh whatever year that was 2021 the second Towards covid the, year yeah the second covid year in my <laughs> mind i think of it as like two years yeah uh, like one of the, like everything kind of shut down and then but then there's you know there's opportunity like you're saying like live streaming yeah um, virtual events, things like that, where all of a sudden we see a need. It's like, okay, I've never live streamed technically before, but I can figure it out. And and you're going to solve a problem for somebody. We, we live stream. I live stream today for a client. You know, it's really? like I still do some of that. Yeah. Um, and so that that that's, you know, pushing myself to do offer something new. It's kind of carried over. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've had our strongest years since then, and and that's all. I mean, I, I'm. You know, I'm content with that, but I'm also always, like I said, always ambitious. I'm always like, okay, how do we think? How do we play chess here? Think a little bit ahead. Yeah, where we're going. Um, and so, but yeah, I, I'm I'm like, that's all I can really ask for, especially after the crazy 
season that the most every small business has dealt with in the last little bit um and every person yeah like yeah the, that's true the, the trauma very true it's <laughs> is real yeah i mean people i mean friendships and families have been ripped apart from, yeah from this tested last, tried yeah. battle I mean, scars you everywhere. throw in the politics oh man with, with a, a, a you know worldwide pandemic it just it, it gets nuts things get nuts man we're gonna look back at these few years and go what what yeah that's when everything <laughs> that yeah. all happened at once there's there's got to be some of the like insane psychology studies going on i hope so um that we'll find out a decade from now yeah know, they're gonna be like what's wrong with all those people yeah. <laughs> that live through that stuff no doubt yeah. no doubt well uh, dude i'm so glad we got to do this and i'm glad that absolutely. you came by and um i'd love to do it again sometime let's go if you'd like to let's do it but thanks for doing it i'm i'm honored and grateful to be here thank you yeah i i mad props to you for even doing something like this and setting up your own little studio soundproofing it doing this on a regular basis um because you know you're doing this out of the just your passion for for meeting people having yeah. conversations storytelling but it takes a lot of work to do this so i know <laughs> i've tried to do some of this stuff and i still am having things that that i want to do and i want to get in place for just a creative outlet and um but it's no small feat either, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost it's it's an affliction or uh, something <laughs> for me. It's like, it's I enjoy I enjoy doing it, but yeah. it's definitely you know it's definitely work. It's like in, it's it's like uh, any other passion you have, you know. It's gonna take some it's gonna take some effort. Um, yeah. But it's it's more than paid off for me. I'm, I love it. Um, I love doing it, and you know I'm glad that you know you and I got to know each other. You know little while back but we've like i've gotten to know you so much more just from this and yeah so it's super yeah. it's super cool well, i mean in, in this day and age too it's like how often do you get a chance to really sit down with somebody that maybe is just an acquaintance right you, yeah we've we've talked one other time yeah. but have an extended you know especially when dude young family kids dad mode there's not yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking from my experience, but there's just there's not a lot of this happening mm -mm. on a regular basis. Yeah, it's, I think it's hard to I think it's hard to find. It's hard to uh, give yourself permission to do something like this unless you have an excuse. Like, you know, we're gonna put it out there for people to listen to. You know, yeah. people are gonna hear it. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's a you know that's a good excuse, and it's usually a good enough excuse to get people to come over, and uh, we usually have a pretty good time doing it. Well, I'm I'm yeah I'm glad to be here. I I kind of forget how extroverted I am until I get in these kind of situations where you're, I'm expected to talk. You're you're really a very a very good uh, uh, communicator. Thank you. Yeah. And I did, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have expected that uh, uh, from my first like knee jerk reaction, uh -huh. you know, with the other. I would expect you to be more of a shy person. Sure, but you're very effective, uh, very effective communicator, and good at uh, telling a story even with your words. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, I, dude, I try not. To, I try to be clear. Um, no, you're good at it. I push everyone else in our in our line of work, you know, and you're the same. It's like you push for clarity. So then sometimes my mind, my brain feels so jumbled with just everything, you know. Yeah, it's it's hard to be it's hard to be succinct and and to make uh, you got to make everything count and and that's probably the engineering brain you got going on. <laughs> sure, you don't sure, want any sure. wasted words out there. Everything's got to have a purpose. <laughs>
Yeah. A long, a long-winded email is probably my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. Like an email that's like, don't use four words when two words will do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. Anyways, I, I enjoyed this time and. Well, uh, me too, man. I'd love to do it again sometime. And I appreciate your time very much, yeah. Tyler. Thank Happy you. Happy to do it, man. Thank you. All right. All right. What a dude. We went a lot of places in that chat, but I really enjoyed it. It was great. Great dude. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves out there. And uh, check out South of Scruffy's Instagram, at South of Scruffy. And uh, link through to the link tree. You can see our merch there. And the uh, it's a good time of year for the Howdy Y'all hoodies. They're really warm. I'm wearing mine a lot. So check those out. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Pitchwire. Play me out.